turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, or swipe to it on your phone. It'll also be on screen. Let me get there myself. 2 Corinthians 2. Um, <clears throat> today we finish our mini-series on gospel culture. Uh, and by gospel culture, we mean a church environment shaped by the reality and the joy of Christ saving us, undeserving sinners from our sins. That's what gospel culture is. And at the beginning of January, Mark helped us see uh, that Christ is building a, a countercultural kingdom uh, that's not of this world, but is of heaven. Um, and yet that kingdom breaks into this world, uh, primarily and most vividly through the local church, where sinners, you and me, people who do not deserve anything from God other than wrath, we experience and share in the grace that we've received through Christ. So he helped us get that idea, and the last three sermons in this series uh, have been devoted to helping us see what is that countercultural uh, culture, that, that kingdom, what does it look like? How, um, uh, you know, how, how does it transform the way that we see one another, uh, the way that we talk to one another, and the way that we treat one another? Uh, the gospel of Christ, it should create an environment um, where forgiven sinners welcome one another, uh, where we encourage one another, and, and where we serve one another. And before I keep going, Howard, have I messed it up worse? Okay, that's fine. All right. We want a culture that relishes a Savior who came to undeserving and hateful people and loved them and made them right with God. That's what gospel culture is. And while it's experienced within the church, it also has an influence of, to those beyond the church. Believers and churches that are shaped by the goodness of what Christ has done on the cross have an effect. We have an effect on those outside the church. And it's our task today to see what effect God intends us to have on the world around us. So we are going to read verse 15 and the first part of 16 in 2 Corinthians 2, and then we'll pray for God's help as we look in his word. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. This is God's word to us. It says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Let's pray. Lord, you have a goal. You have an intention for us as we reflect Christ, as we uh, are imitators of him. And you have a goal for what you want our little church um, to be and 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 the effect that, that you want us to have on those around us. And so, Lord, I pray, help us get a bigger, clearer vision of what you want for us, of the goodness that you have planned for us, of the joy that you want us to experience. And, Lord, uh, motivate us uh, by grace and by an awareness of all that Christ has done um, to, to pursue that, uh, that happy goal um, that you have. And um, we just ask your spirit now to meet us right now as we read and understand your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, smells can be controversial. 
Um, the same scent can be lovely to one person and smell awful to another. Um, perhaps you hate the smell of gasoline. Or perhaps, like me, you, you kind of enjoy it. <laughs> you might love the smell of a new car, or it might give you a headache. Your coworker may use some perfume or cologne, and to them, it's, it's wonderful. They like it, but you can hardly stand it. You can tell that they're coming before you see them. The same smell can cause two totally opposite reactions, uh, especially if that smell is strong. Well, strong smells cause polar reactions, and there is one smell that is more pungent than any, and that is the aroma of Christ. Paul says in verse 15 that we, Christians, are the aroma of Christ, and as such, we cause very different reactions to those who are around us. Perhaps you've experienced this. Maybe your next-door neighbor uh, was super blessed by your offer of prayer. Or perhaps they were offended by it, that you would even mention that. Perhaps your coworkers seem interested in talking about Jesus, and, and that makes you excited that they want to hear more of him, uh, but you have a family member who has distanced herself from you because you are a Christian. Or maybe... Maybe you don't feel like you've experienced these polar reactions. Maybe you feel like nobody knows you're a Christian. Or maybe they, they know, they just don't seem to care. It seems to have no effect on them. Whatever your experience, God wants to meet you today. He wants to show us what it looks like to be the aroma of Christ. He wants to make us, both individually, each of us, and as a church, he wants to make us smell so strongly of Christ that those around us cannot ignore us. He wants, us, he wants to create a, a, in our church a culture so steeped in the goodness of Christ's gospel that we smell blissfully sweet to some and at the same time reek to others. He wants us to smell more strongly of Christ. He wants to make us more pungent and those who smell like Christ will polarize the world as they do so. Our goal as individuals and as a church is to smell more strongly of Christ and him crucified. And this morning, we'll aim to grow in that. And we'll do so by answering three questions. So the first question is, what does it mean to be the aroma of Christ? Then we'll answer, how do we smell to others? And finally, how can we smell more like Christ? So let's jump in. What does it mean to be the aroma of of Christ. Verse 15, Paul says, for we are the aroma of Christ. Now, why does Paul use that language? Um, why does he call us the aroma? Literally the good smell of Christ. What, where is he getting that? That seems like an interesting thing to pick up on. Well, in the preceding verse, verse 14, Paul stated that through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. So Paul pictures the knowledge of Christ, that is the truth about, about what Christ has accomplished on the cross by, by dying for our sins, making us right with God as we uh, exercise faith in him. So he, he, he pictures that knowledge as a fragrance. And, and he states that God spreads this fragrance uh, everywhere. And how does he do it? God does it through us. 
So God wants the sweet smell of the gospel, the truths of what Christ has done, to spread throughout the entire world uh, through forgiven sinners like you and like me. And, and he decides to use us to spread that fragrant saving knowledge of Christ everywhere. That's a high privilege. But Paul doesn't stop his analogy there. We don't just spread a fragrance. He goes on to say that we are the fragrance of Christ. Verse 15, we are the aroma of Christ. So we don't just spread some aroma, we actually are the aroma. But what does that mean? Okay, What's significant about being the aroma, the good smell of Christ? What does Paul specifically or what, why does he use this sense of, all, you know, of, of anything to describe Christians? Well, smell is a very unique sense. Of our senses, it's the one most closely linked to memory. Um, there have been a number of times in my life where I, I catch a whiff of something, and for some reason it reminds me of the days I worked back at Dairy Queen. And you would think it'd be because I'm smelling ice cream or something like that, but it's not. And it's taken me some time to figure out what makes me think of those days I worked at Dairy Queen. Well, it happens to be this hand soap that, that they use there. And Abby's nodding. She worked at Dairy Queen with me. I use that every day, multiple times a day at Dairy Queen. Uh, and, and that smell linked to that experience. And so now I've learned that Chipotle happens to use the same soap. So I'm in the bathroom at Chipotle, washing my hands, thinking of Dairy Queen, and I'm like, why am I in Chipotle thinking of Dairy Queen? It's a weird sensation. Why does my brain do that? Well, it's because my brain has linked that smell to that memory. It says, that hand soap, wait a second, you remember those, that year or so, I don't remember how long I worked there. Um, you remember Dairy Queen? Yeah. That's what the smell sends me back to. You probably have certain smells that remind you of a specific uh, place, of a specific person, or of, or of seasons in your life, like a job. That's because smells are memorable, right? They trigger memory. But apart from being memorable, smells are also uh, vivid, and they make life more flavorful. Uh, I had a coworker who last year contracted COVID, and like many others, he lost his sense of taste and smell. And um, I thought this was interesting. He said that of all the symptoms that he had, the worst was losing his sense of taste and smell. He said he much prefer the flu-like symptoms over that, which I found surprising because I hate flu-like symptoms. And you'd think, okay, life without smell is just a little less interesting. No, but it's bland, it's dull, it's lifeless, it's flavorless. And God gave us this sense so that we would enjoy food and, and other things that we can smell around us. Smell adds enjoyment to our life. Paul describes Christians as an aroma, as a memorable, enjoyable smell. But what kind of aroma are we? What memories do we stir? What enjoyment do we bring? Well, Paul makes it clear. He says we are the aroma of Christ. That is, we ought to smell distinctly of Christ. When people interact with us, they should think of him. This means that when we're, leaving, when we're living like Jesus did, uh, when we're following his commands and, and living out the love that he had for us, people are going to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. When they think of us, 
They're going to remember or learn something of him. So how do others remember you? How do others remember me? Do they think, oh yeah, I know Todd. He's, he's really into board games and Marvel films, and he loves math, and he's full of energy. Oh, and, and he talks way too much. Or do they think, oh, I know Todd. Yeah, he's full of energy. He enjoys a lot in life, but he's really into Jesus and into his church. And he gets jazzed when he talks about the Bible. And he's, he's always full of encouragement. How do people remember us? Well, to be the aroma of Christ means that people remember more of Christ when they interact with us. People experience something of Jesus when they talk with us, when they fellowship with us. And because of that, others enjoy getting to know Christ better through the way that we interact with them. Um, I, I think of a few people who, who help me understand Jesus better who are in this church. I think about my dad. He has been my accountability partner for years as I struggle through, through, through certain sins. And as I talk with my dad about these struggles, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of my, my guilt and, and, and I feel discouraged. And yet he graciously listens to me and he prays for me. And through him, I get a better sense of the gentleness of Christ. When I watch Howard Platts serve our church in the myriad of ways that he does, I get a better feel of what it means that Christ came as a servant. Thank you, Howard, for exhibiting that. When I hear of Sandy Eckert forgiving the man who crashed her car and sent her into the hospital, I get a better picture of what Christ's forgiving heart is towards me. These saints and many others smell distinctly of Christ. And I'm reminded of what my Savior is like when I interact with them, and I enjoy him more because of them. That's what it looks like to be the aroma of Christ. When you're around such people, you get a better sense of who Jesus is. You enjoy him more. To be the aroma of Christ is to, is to remind people of, of the gentle and lowly spirit of Jesus. It's our prayer as pastors that this church becomes increasingly aromatic of Christ, where we judge each other charitably, where we encourage one another in specific ways, um, where we bear one with, with one another in humility. That's, that's our hope. A church environment uh, like this not only affects those within the church, it does. It has an influence on those outside the church. Well, what sort of influence do we have outside the church? Well, how, that is, how do, we, how do we smell to others? Well, let's read again, starting in verse 15. Paul says this, For we have the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing, to one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So there's two parties involved here, those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And we, the aroma of Christ, are among both parties. 
However, though both parties smell the same fragrance, they interact with us, the same people. It has opposite effects on each party. To those who are being saved, we're a fragrance from life to life. But to those who are perishing, we're a fragrance from death to death. Like a strong smell that one person loves and another hates, we as Christians will garner different responses as we live like and speak of Christ. So let's consider each party and their response. First, those who are being saved. Well, who are these people? Well, these are the people that God is drawing to himself. That could certainly include born-again Christians, but I think Paul has in mind here those who are not yet Christians. They're being saved. That is, they're in process. God is working on their souls to bring them to a place of of humility and dependence uh, so that they reach out to a God who saves them and, and, and relates to them and knows them through Christ Jesus. How easily I can forget that, that God... That God is actively drawing non-believers to himself. He is at work in people's hearts often long before we know it and and sometimes long before we even know the person. Uh, Just this past Thursday, I got to know one of my new neighbors a little better. Um, She was telling me how she just broke up with her her boyfriend um, who apparently um, uh, uh, threatened to take her life uh, he's been using meth. He's been using coke. And um, so I just, I didn't know what to do, but listen to her, care. I offered to pray for her. So I just prayed for her. I prayed that she'd have protection from God and that God would work um, in this man's heart. Um, and when I finished praying, she just cried um, and thanked me for my prayer. She said she's not a religious person, but this past week she's been, she's been praying uh, she's been aware that there is a God that she needs help from. And, and her mom even recognized it, who apparently is religious, and said, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> You're praying. Here's a woman acquainted with the effects of sin, well acquainted with the effects of sin. She's fearful for her own safety, and she's aware that she needs God to intervene in some way. And through these crazy life circumstances, ones that I've never experienced or come close to, God may be drawing her to himself. He may be bringing her to a place of desperation where she finally sees her need for a savior and casts herself fully upon him. God is drawing people to himself, and he intends to use our Christ-like example and our words as a means of making himself known to them. And when we're faithful witnesses of Christ, when we're living obviously as Christians, when we're being gentle and lowly like our Savior, and when we're looking for other ways to tell, uh, for ways to tell other people about Christ, God makes us appear to some as a fragrance from life to life. That that phrase, a fragrance from life to life. It's an enlivening sense. It puts courage in your soul. Think of the most refreshing aroma that you can, something that invigorates you. Maybe it's, it's fresh-baked cookies, chocolate chip. That's, that's for me. <laughs> Maybe it's coffee, and you go, that's going to get me through the day. <laughs> Maybe it's crisp mountain air and pine. That is what we are like to those who are being saved. We are are a sweet aroma 
that brings the goodness of Christ into the lives of those who desperately need him just like us. When we represent Christ, we enliven those God is saving. And ultimately, we may be the very ones that that God uses to lead that person to salvation, uh, to them repenting of their sins and and trusting in only only Jesus to make them right with God. What, What a sweet privilege it is to be the aroma of Christ to those whom God is saving, to be a fragrance from life to life. But this isn't the only party out there. There are also those who are perishing. And in context, these are those who are rejecting God and those whom God sends. Left in our sin, this is humanity's natural disposition. Um, We want to be the boss of ourselves. We do not want to be accountable to a God whose standard is perfection. Um, We hate the idea that God... God is the one who tells us what's right and what's wrong, and not us. And we hate the idea of needing God's help to make us upright. We don't want to rely on a man who is killed by Roman soldiers and who claims our undivided fidelity. That's kind of crazy. We don't like the idea of submitting to some, some King Jesus. When we feel like we've got life under control ourselves, I don't need someone else ruling over me. To those who are perishing the aroma of Christ, the aroma of the one who said he, not just who said, but who who was executed because he said that we are so evil, he had to be executed on our behalf. The aroma of that Christ is a fragrance from death to death. That is, the more they get a whiff of who Christ is, the more repelled they are by him. And the more they'll hate those who smell like him. Have you ever experienced this? Perhaps you're trying to be a transparent Christian to your coworkers. And perhaps you're you're trying to bring God into the conversations that are sprinkled throughout the day. But you just keep getting teased. Um, You're the butt of every joke, and they make light of your attempts to bring Jesus into the conversation. They write you off as a goody-two-shoes with some sales pitch about Jesus. That's the response you get. Well, this shouldn't surprise us. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. But why does the world hate us? Jesus makes it clear in John 15. He says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We are not of this world. We do not belong here. And it's because we don't belong that the world hates us. So when we're when we're hated for identifying with and, and, and sharing Christ, we ought not to be discouraged. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that we've failed or that we've done something wrong. Sometimes it's our own fault. We're jerks and people hate us because we're jerks. That's different. When we represent and follow Christ and people hate us for that, it doesn't mean we've messed up. 
We're not the ones in control of the way they respond to us. To the contrary, when we're belittled or shamed for identifying with Christ, that's actually a channel of Christ's own blessing and reward to us. Christ said in Matthew 5, Blessed are you, blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who went, who were before you. So are you criticized for being more devoted to your local church than to someone's political campaign? Are, are you shamed for not getting outraged by all that the culture says we ought to? Are you judged as narrow-minded when you hold to the truth that Christ alone is worthy of our complete devotion? Don't be discouraged. The kingdom you belong to is not of this world. This is not our home. And the king of that kingdom sees you in every single moment in which you act as his ambassador, and he is going to reward you greatly. And it'll be, it'll be fantastic, and, and we are going to experience that when we come home to him. As the aroma of Christ, we will be loved by some and simultaneously hated by others, just as Jesus himself is loved by some and hated by others. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, he says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So here's encouragement. If we're persecuted for following Christ, it's because Jesus himself was persecuted. And here's hope. It's not all persecution. If some listen to Jesus, then some will listen to us as well. God wants us to, to use us in both scenarios. Ultimately, whether we are persecuted or listened to, there is one person who always enjoys the aroma of Christ, and that is God himself. We skipped over it, but in verse 15 it says, We are the aroma of Christ to God. That is, God Almighty is the first to recognize and enjoy the aroma of His own beloved Son. So whether we're repulsive or attractive to others, God Himself takes delight in us reflecting the character and the humility and the gentleness and the truth of His Son. Like the pleasing aromas of the sacrifices that the Israelite priests offered to God, we, in our union with Christ, are a pleasing aroma to God, whether we're being rejected or accepted by the world. God delights in us as we reflect his son, and he desires to make us smell all the more strongly of him, all the more strongly, a pleasing aroma that reminds him of his own son whom he loves. But how do we do that? We've talked a lot. How do we get practical on this? How practically can we smell more like Christ? How do we smell so strongly of Christ that we are unmistakably his followers? How do we smell uniquely of him? Christ himself answers that question in John 13. He says this, 
a new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do people know that we're Christ's disciples? How do they know that we belong to a different kingdom? By having love for one another. That's the one thing Jesus picked out. He didn't say, by your sacrifice to the world or uh, by your gentleness to, to, you know, to, to, to your neighbor. He could have said those things. Those are important. But what he picks out is love for one another. That's how they say, you know what? Those people don't seem to fit in here and they seem to really love Jesus, and they love one another. There's a witness there. But it's not just any love. It's not just, oh, they love each other like, like some other community, or yeah, kind of like this church I know, or, or the LGBT community who, who watches out for each other, and they love one another, and they stand by each other. This love is different. It's not just any love. It's Christ's love. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So when we love one another like Christ loved us, the world is going to recognize us as those who follow King Jesus. When we love like Christ did, the world will be unable to ignore us because they'll be unable to ignore him. They'll be forced to either love us or hate us because they will either love or hate Christ. But what does Jesus' love look like? What's distinct about it? How did Christ love? Well, in love, he spent time with ignorant and annoying and sinful people. In love, he, he patiently taught others about God. I mean, patiently, he had to go back over and over again things with his disciples. In love, he washed the feet which itself is gross enough, especially if you're the God of the universe coming down as a man to wash yucky people's feet. But he washed the feet of those who would abandon him in a few hours in his hour of need. In love, he forgave those who spat on him and wrongfully executed him as a criminal when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In love, he bore the wrath of God for evil sinners like you and like me who deserve nothing but judgment. This is a love that the world can't offer. It's a love infinitely stronger and closer than, than demographic similarities or familial ties or common interests or shared causes. It's a love that sees others as those whom God has made. It's a love that flavors our speech with encouragement and hope it's a love that considers others more important than ourselves and seeks to sacrificially serve them. If we want our church to be filled with the sweet fragrance of Christ, both to those within and without, we must love like Christ did. And the only way, listen, the only way we're going to love like Christ did is if we are aware of his love for us. It has to start there. We can't conjure this up. John said, 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. That's the reason we love. So then, 
aware of all that Christ has done for us in love, aware that he died for our sins, aware that he gives us his own righteousness, aware that he patiently bears with us day in and day out, aware that he intercedes right now before the throne of God for us, and aware that he's preparing a room for us in heaven. Aware of all that, let us love like Christ did. How do we do that? Well, we put into practice all that we've been learning over the past few weeks. We strive to see each other as Christ sees us. So when we're tempted to be frustrated, let's get practical, when we're tempted to be frustrated with a person who holds a political view that is just 180 degrees from our own, we intentionally remember that this person is made in the image of God and as such has immense value. When we're annoyed by someone's idiosyncrasies and we just don't feel like we can put up with them anymore, we we remember the amazing patience that Christ has with us. And we seek to extend that to them. When we're drained by the believer, by the fellow believer even, who just doesn't seem to say anything helpful you know, just think, I'm not, should I spend time in conversation with them? Because they just, nothing they say raises my soul. We fight, we call to mind that Christ loved this person enough to die for them. That's who you're talking to. One for whom Christ died. We remember all people first and foremost as those created by God, And we see fellow believers as those whom Christ dearly loves, as those whom he protects and provides for. So we strive to see each other the way that Christ sees us. We also strive to speak to each other the way that Christ has spoken to us. So when we come to to meetings like Sunday morning gatherings or discipleship groups or Holy Fire, we, we, we come with a specific goal to encourage others. And maybe that means praying about or, and, and bringing a specific prophetic word and, and God puts someone on your heart and you think, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and try it and say that. And it might be awkward, but maybe the Lord wants to speak to them today through me. Maybe it means talking with the, with the person you know very little about. You just feel like you have nothing in common, but your goal is to get to know them more and, and see if there's a way that you can pray for them perhaps or encourage them that you see the work of God uh, you know, in their lives uh, and, and you can help, help them see the work of God in their lives because we're so often blinded by that. Um, means speaking to each other uh, like Christ spoke to us. One very concrete way we can do this for those who are 13 to 40, we have a, a, new, uh, a new ministry happening next gen. It's going to happen this Saturday. You'll get an email with more info. But the goal of that is to specifically grow in encouraging one another. If, if, if there's so much in Scripture about encouraging one another, I think it's worth developing that skill intentionally. That's our goal. So if you can be there, be there. Um, I think you're, the goal is that you're encouraged. So, um, you know, and, and eat great food, so I don't know how I could say no to that. Um, but if you can, be there. So we speak to others as Christ has spoken to us. And finally, we strive to treat each other like Christ has treated us. So when we hear that, that Whitney had a baby, we, we, we offer to bring the meal. You know, we offer to serve. When we see a care portal request, we, we help out by maybe by, by praying 
or by donating or, or going to store and purchasing something or delivering it to the, per, the family in need. Um, when we hear that childcare is needed for, for Sunday gatherings or for next gen, we check our schedules and, and, and if we're able to, we sign up. We serve others. We hear of someone hurting and, and we come alongside them and we listen to them and we care for them and we pray for them. When we are aware of Christ's immense love for us and when we strive to embody his love toward one another, then we become a church whose aroma is pungently of Christ. We become those who, we become known as those who welcome like Christ welcomed us, as those who served like Christ served us, as those who love like Christ loved us. And the result is going to be our own joy because it is a joyful thing to be in a community where this sweet fragrance this refreshing, far better than your best-smelling barbecue cookout or baked cookies or whatever it is, this sweet fragrance, you want to be there. It's our own joy uh, is, is one, one thing we're going to benefit from. But uh, apart from that, we're going to be a powerful witness to the world. They're going to know that we belong to Christ because we love one another. They say, that doesn't seem like you and you should love one another based on all the other things I see. You are totally different demographics. You have different political views. You have different convictions. And yet somehow you're serving one another. You're loving one another. There's that corporate witness. And then ultimately, as we, as we grow in this, the name of Christ himself will be glorified because it's not just some aroma. It's the aroma of Christ. He is the only one who did this perfectly. He's the only one who loved his neighbor as himself and who loved his enemies and died for them. Christ will be glorified as others know us to be followers of him. So church, let's strive to be a people who enjoy Christ and who love one another like he loved us. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for um, not just your example of love, but for your specific love of us that you have um, forsaken um, Everything, Lord, you, you gave up your standing next to God to come to this world um, to become a human in a world uh, just full of sin and weakness and, and destruction, and you came to die to bear our, our sins, all, all the guilt that we have incurred, and to make us right with you. And Lord, you haven't left it at that. You have then gathered us as your people, as those who enjoy a savior and you seek to make us more like yourself so lord we do pray make that our experience more and more in this church lord uh, make us smell more sweetly of christ um, and glorify your name as we as we seek this lord and pray this in, in his name amen let's stand mm -hmm.